Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Future Projection Podcast. This is episode 17. I am Carlos Colazzo, joined, as always, by Ben Badler. Ben, what's going on, buddy? Doing good, Carlos. Just wondering got a question for you though when when are the yankees going to call up anthony volpe now right i mean moving moving glaber torres to to second base he's he's moving off shortstop we're moving anthony volpe up our our top 100 yeah. what, are, what are what are they waiting for let's just make it happen that would be wild to see he's he's been good uh, <laughs> he might not maybe not that good but yeah that's that's something. The Yankees have had a lot of moves here lately. I feel like you probably are more on top of that than I am at this point, but that's interesting. We can talk about that. Uh, I think there's actually an interesting conversation to be had there with just that position change that we can jump into later. But um, yeah, this is I don't a third. Think, I don't think Volpe is ready quite yet, <laughs> but this it's, is... it's, it's definitely, I, I, and I don't even know if Anthony Volpe is, is, I mean, he has some of the same shortstop questions coming up that, that Glaber had, but it's definitely hear a lot of chatter from from Yankee world on Anthony Volpe. Yeah, straight from from high A to the majors to make it happen. Um, but this is the third week in a row, so we're officially on a hitting streak after uh, a little bit of a uh, a struggle there during the draft. So I feel like we've righted the ship and we're back on things. It feels good to to be on a regular schedule here and and talking to you every week. Um, We've got a ton of questions today that I want to get to, uh, but we also have a few interesting topics that I wanted to kind of kick things off with. Well, some of these are just topics that you wanted to dive into, Ben, but um, I guess before we jump into any of that, what, what have you been up to lately? Um, we have next week, we might have a little bit of a different episode just because you're going to be traveling. Uh, I've got a few events that are taking place over the next few weeks. Jupiter's coming up, baseball factories all-star game is two weekends from now as we record here uh on a tuesday um so a few events coming up in the fall that'll be fun to get to for me um in addition to kind of working on expanding our 2022 rankings uh and a few updates for the 2023 college list on my end but what have you kind of been working on yeah i got the prospect handbook coming up so we've oh man i forgot about that she's kicking kicking things into gear i mean it's there's no like pro I, I don't like, well, sometimes we call it like prospect handbook season, but mm-hmm. I guess it, it shifts more toward, okay, there's an actual print book that we have, yeah. but it's, it's really a year round process that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and we just updated our, our top 100. We kind of talked through the process with Josh on that, on our last episode. So we can, you guys, I'm sure have seen the new update that's on our site right now at baseballamerica.com. So that's one of the things we've really been trying to focus on this year is trying to make sure we have an up-to-date top 100 every, every month. So it's, it's whatever, whenever you're looking at the top 100, it's, it's an up-to-date top 100, you know, a mm-hmm. few years ago, we, you know, we might just do a mid-season update and then, you know, you know, the, our big top 100 update that we do annually and, you know, it'd be in January or February. 
but you know, I, I think we've been trying to just keep our readers more up to date with our, our top 100. Obviously the process as far as the update, the big update in January is going to be more, you know, just the more time you have, the more time you have to make calls and, and be more detailed and, and collect greater volume of information and, and sources and data to, to make decisions on who goes where. But um, yeah, we've really been trying to yeah. make sure we have a constantly updated top 100. So um, yeah, I'm working sure, on, yeah, I'm sure 10 years from now, we'll look back and we'll be doing like weekly updates and, and wonder why we ever did it, waited so long as to do it every month during the season. But no, you're right. I think from, from my perspective, I mean, initially when I started up at baseball America, I was, I was very much focused on the draft and my prospect responsibilities as far as like minor league prospects specifically was probably more limited to prospect handbook season, I guess. That's the one time of year where everyone on staff, regardless of their department, is kind of focused on that. Um, I don't know that we have a full time writer who doesn't have a chapter in the prospect handbook. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone does. The college guys, yeah. uh, guys like me who are focused on the draft. And previously, we've had uh, multiple draft writers. But yeah, for the most part, it's just a couple other departments who maybe focus on a number of different things or have a, a specific beat outside of the prospect world that then pivot to minor league coverage for the prospect handbook because it is such a massive project but i do think the the past few years at least for myself it's definitely been more of a focus on prospects throughout the year in addition to the draft just as i've gotten more involved on the prospect side of things uh, and with this podcast i mean this podcast has really helped me focus more on um just keeping track of some of the guys i think it's tough to be on top of everything 100% and feel like you're doing as much as you can in one space. But I do think you learn a lot about how to evaluate players and just the development of players. If you're tracking them from high school to college through the draft, keeping up with them in the minors. I mean, it's a long process for all these players and the more you can kind of focus, I guess you can't really focus on everything, but, but keep tabs on everything and, and kind of track that I feel like you're going you're going to only benefit as, as someone who's trying to evaluate these guys and and project players and, and see why players why some players fail uh, that you thought were going to be good why some players succeeded that maybe uh, were a little bit under the radar for you or maybe completely under the radar. Um, but no, uh, it's definitely prospect handbook season for whatever that means I guess what it really means is we're spending more time actually writing and, and reporting on specific chapters. Uh, for me, I have the Braves and the Twins. What, what are your teams this year, Ben? Uh, Blue Jays and, and Brewers are going to be my focus this year. Okay, nice. Yeah, so uh, if you guys have not checked out the Prospect Handbook, it's it's easily the the biggest project that we do at Baseball America every year. I imagine most of the listeners are at least aware of the product, but if you haven't checked it out, there's really a ton of information. I mean, again, I, I can't focus on all 30 teams to the, to the level of – all the prospect writers who, who are just focused on those 30 teams like yourself and uh, Josh and Kyle and Matt. So I'm constantly learning things that, that I never would have known without that book. So who it's are, not just, who are you okay. putting on the cover this year is, Oh, is that a dumb question? I should probably, should probably, you're probably going Bobby Witt jr. As oh, your I nominee. Mean, yeah. That's yeah. immediately who I went to. Like why, why wouldn't it not be Bobby Witt jr. But we um, did, we did have Julio already. Who the are the past two? It's been Julio Wander. Those are the last two, right? Then it was Vlad, maybe. Probably was it? I'm, yeah, 2018. That was like 
what or 2019 that was like seven years ago it feels like so it does feel like an age ago <laughs> i mean i feel like so adley has not been or, on or a tatis maybe adley when yeah, yeah. fernando tatis was maybe he was 19 yeah i'm not sure i know vlad was on it right i don't think acuna was on the prospect handbook vlad has been on a lot of ba covers yeah. for a guy who wasn't in the minor leagues <laughs> adley has been on a lot of covers as well i don't think he's been on a book yet though so maybe he's just the obvious choice. He's going to enter the year as the top prospect, I would guess. I mean, I guess things can change over the offseason, but right now he's the top guy. Julio's probably not going to be on it again. Would he be the first? I don't think we've ever had someone who's on the prospect handbook cover twice. Back-to-back guy? That'd be a little weird. I don't know if I would like Let's that. Back and check. It would be kind of cool, though, at the same time. I mean, people don't complain when we put Julio on the cover of anything. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like for me, it's like Adley or Bobby Wood Jr., those, those would probably be the guys that I would want to see on there. Really harkens back to the 2019 draft uh, covers we thought through. Although Bobby Witt was never on the cover uh, during his draft year, I don't think. So, yeah, he deserves it. Come on. We haven't put him on a cover. He, he's played up to the hype. Come on, put him on the cover. All right. Need to get Matt on here and convince him to uh, commit to that so he can't backtrack. Do you have any other candidates? I think those are probably the strongest. I mean, when... Torkelson and Riley Green, we go like a one-two right there. Two two Tigers who are going to be making an impact, I think, for them in 2022. You're put both of them on the cover? You could, yeah, do we, we used to have – yeah, we used to kind of diversify <laughs> the prospect yeah. handbook cover with, with multiple guys. I got to say, I, I like the cover. covers that just have one player. I feel like those always just look – aesthetically, I feel like they look the best. Yeah, as long as, long as you hit on that guy. Yeah, for like, sure. Oh, like jerks and Profar ended up on the cover, and he's been yeah. all right, but he hasn't been. Yeah, just let's just not put a pitcher. I think is probably a safe strategy. <laughs> also, probably <laughs> usually a good idea. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess getting into some of the topics we wanted to touch on. I know you wanted to talk about showcases, Ben. Uh, you've been to a lot of showcases lately. Well, what exactly do you want to get into in terms of showcase talk? Because it's something that me and you go to a ton. I don't know that many of our listeners ever really get to experience them, um, but just throw it at me, man. What do you have? Yeah, it's it's definitely a different environment from evaluating a player at a showcase compared to at a at a game or in a tournament setting. So there there are definitely things that are are good about the showcase atmosphere, the showcase environment, but. Uh, some things that obviously are some some drawbacks too, and and every every showcase is run differently too. So you you see things that are done at at some events that where you, you like some things they do, and some things you're like, oh, like I I, w- I wish this was done differently. So so I was at and I was at the 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 Kelly Rodman Memorial Summer Rivalry Classic at Fenway park, uh, recently. So it's, it's basically a lot of the top players from the, from the Northeast for mostly for the upcoming 2022 draft from high school with some, some college players mixed in some, um, some, some underclass players were there, you know, Thomas white left-hander from Massachusetts, Kevin McGonigal shortstop from Pennsylvania, uh, some top 2023 players and and some players from around the country too 
were there, like like Cutter Coffee uh, out of California, Brady Neal, catcher down at uh, IMG Academy in, in Florida, uh, who reclassed for, for 2022, some prominent draft guys that, that we're watching for next year. Uh, one, one of the things I liked that I, I noticed they had was so, so catchers, when they throw to second base in in a showcase or in a workout, you typically have a a pitcher not on the mound, a little bit off to the side of the mound, throwing throwing a pitch in, and the catcher is is thrown to second base and. So there, there can be a lot of different things going on. You know, sometimes the catcher is wearing gear. Sometimes he's not, which is a pet peeve. <laughs> I have like at least just put on, on the gear so we can see how they look throwing in, in their gear. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not the same thing mm-hmm. as a game. Like, you know, as, as you know, the catcher doesn't have to worry about, all right, is this, you know, how, how do I have to throw out a guy on, on a breaking ball away and have to make that throw <laughs> or no, you're, you're just getting a, a you know, a fastball or, or a straight pitch usually up in the zone. It's, it's custom made for you to be able to, you know, make that, make the easiest throw possible. Definitely. What, what, what they had set up, which I thought was, was interesting that I liked was, and it's, you know, it's run by, scouts for major league teams hmm. so so they're doing it to try to get the best evaluation of these players possible not to try to see how low we can go with their pop times <laughs> they had a they had a batter standing in the right-handed hitters uh batter's box while the catchers were throwing to second base now they're not swinging so it's it's not it's not the exact same obviously as as a game but it did cut down on the catcher's ability to to fully cheat, cheat open up and yeah, cheat, yeah so you can't you know look if if a left-handed hitter is up you can swing around mm-hmm. and throw from the right-handed batter's box in a game major league catchers do that but obviously you can't always do that and sometimes in showcases too you'll see a guy you know reach out and start kind of cheating out toward home plate and towards second base and it's like dude if, if you do that in a game and the batter swings <laughs> like you're gonna get a concussion yeah he's gonna hit you in the back of the helmet or the that's back an, of the head that's an interesting idea I, I think i don't really have too much of an issue with kind of how they do catchers and, and the I guess I don't have an issue because I think the whole point of it is to show tools, right? A, a lot of these showcases, I think, I think the best thing about a showcase environment specifically is I feel like it's a great barometer for kind of seeing tools for players and just bigger picture physicality, how players kind of move. Uh, but I don't think showcases are greatest for maybe some of the the like more detailed scouting that you would better get in like a real game environment, like a tournament, like actual high school baseball. Um, so I do think like, it doesn't really bother me that the catchers are cheating. All of the scouts know what they're doing and that the pop time specific, like if you're just looking at those events and trying to make something valuable out of the pop time itself, you're probably just evaluating that whole process wrong. Like you should just be looking for, 
arm strength? Like how clean is the arm path? Is there anything with the arm strength or how the path works or how the footwork works uh, that really gets you excited or in the opposite directions? It's almost the same as like batting practice. Like batting practice is, is basically just feeding in really easy pitchers for, for hitters to, to hit, but no scout. I don't think any scout has ever been like, well, batting practice is useless because of that. I think that you're just looking for different things. You're looking for raw power. You're looking at how the swing works. Uh, I don't think everyone, anyone would ever watch batting practice and be like, oh yeah, this guy's a, a plus hitter because he took a really good round of BP. Uh, so I think it's just kind of what you take away from it. But I do like the fact that some, some people are trying to get a little bit creative and maybe try and create more game situations in a showcase environment. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there anybody's looking at, Oh, all right, well, this guy had a one nine pop time. So that's what it's yeah. going to translate into in a game, but you do like to your point, you do see. So, so when they had the, the hitter just standing in the box, you could see, and I, you know, I'd seen some of these kids throw previously, you could see just, just their mechanics are, are different mm-hmm. when there's a hitter in the box yep. versus when there's versus when it's just a, a showcase setting and they can, you know, do whatever, do whatever they want or more rigorous about making sure the catchers were starting from, you know, getting down into a full squat to start. Cause that's the other thing is, is you see catchers at a showcase getting into this like quarter squat or a half squat position Cause they're trying to, you know, juice, juice up, or, or I guess juice down their pop time for, for that showcase setting, which I, you know, probably can give you some information in and of itself. Anyway, I've like, all right, well, maybe this guy just lacks the mobility and flexibility to, <laughs> to get down and, and throw from, um, you know, throw from a full squat, but um, you know, d- being able to evaluate a catcher, in that environment with mechanics or, or a process that more closely resembles what you're going to see from him in a game, I I think is, is beneficial. Yeah. All that makes sense to me. Uh, Is there anything else you would like to see more at showcases or different drills or workouts that you think could be improved upon or that you like for a showcase, for instance, like, I mean, it's always nice seeing the outfielders throw just because it's very tough to get a good read. I mean, sometimes you'll see multiple games where an outfielder that you want to see him let loose his arm strength, he just doesn't get a chance to do it. Even if he gets a couple of balls hit to him, he might not actually have to let loose the arm. So, I mean, just getting those reps from an outfielder throwing is is great. But at the same time, I do think I, I would like to see more extended infield reps. Um just basically because I think most like pregame in and outs, I feel like are more valuable than like taking five balls at shortstop for every non first base infielder. Um, but I also just generally like watching fielders. So maybe it's just a case of, uh, I like watching those guys take ground balls and I like taking ground balls when I was playing. So I, I'm not sure. Yeah. That, I think the, the outfielders is, is good. Cause I mean, you could see a guy for, a whole series, a whole five game series and not see him make an outfield throw. And if you do, you know, he might not get his best footing off. Um, he, you know, the ball might slip in his hand, all, all sorts of little things can happen. 
but yeah, seeing a guy make, you know, a couple throws or a few throws to third and then a few throws home, um, you, you can get a pretty quick sense of a guy's arm. Although at, at the same time, you know, there, there are times where I've seen a guy with a, a 70 arm throw. And if you only saw him throw on a, on a certain day, you might come away thinking oh, he has more of more of an average arm or, or, or even just throw to throw. They, they can be very yeah. inconsistent. I, was, I think it was the first year I was doing this. Joe Gray, I believe might've been one of the, the guys that kind of jumped out to me. The, the first event I saw him, his arm was like one of the better arms that I saw at the event. It might've even been PG national. And then it was uh, like the next event I saw him and it was like a very average looking arm on that day. And at that point I was questioning myself more than Joe Gray. I was like, do, do I know what I'm looking at here? Like the first time I saw him, I thought this was like a 60 or even a 70 arm. And now I think it's average. Like if I have no consistency in, in my evaluations, like what am I doing here? But yeah, I do think it is kind of crazy how much arm strength can just fluctuate day to day. Like you're saying, I mean, some days these guys just might be a little more tired. Yeah. And especially for like a lot of the showcases we're at are for high school players. And if a guy does have a good arm, there's a reasonable chance. He probably also pitches too, especially mm -hmm. for, for the underclassmen. I mean, yeah. the closer you get to your draft year, you, you might just do one or the other, but like, I mean, there are showcases where, yeah, maybe a guy didn't show as good of an arm as you were thinking, but, oh yeah, he also threw like three or four innings, like two days ago, or, or maybe even yesterday. I mean, you know, sometimes you want to just dial it back and tell him to like, dude, if, if you threw, if you just pitched, like you don't need to be throwing from the outfield today. Like just keep, keep your arm healthy. That, that should be the first priority here not not throwing it at this showcase but there are all sorts of little things like that that can have an impact and and that kind of, that that fatigue can mask just the the true quality of of their arm strength i would actually like love to see a study like a really in-depth study of like how often kids who are going to all these events even non-pitchers like how often are their arms getting used because there are we were just going over like the schedule a few weeks ago like the fall schedule of what events we wanted to hit and and on top of the summer on top of the spring for some kids who have like the year-round baseball environment in southern states like it's kind of crazy to think about just the toll that all of these players have on their arms especially for the kids who just want to go play at everything like i i like just think back to how i thought of baseball when i was in high school and i never would have said like no to going to an event because my arm was a little bit sore it's like, no, I want to go to as much as I can. So seeing how, just how aware players themselves are, the systems we've set up, how good are they at protecting arms? I don't really know. I think there, there have been a lot of advances made and just with just pitch smart, pitch smart uh, being implemented at most of these events and tournaments is probably a good start, but I would love to just see like, what is the actual volume of throws these players um are, are just going going for every every year and how that maybe compares even 10 20 years ago or, yeah. or what's the impact of that i think i think young pitchers the, the the pitchers in particular i think are becoming more intelligent and more thoughtful it definitely about, seems like it, yeah. about when to when to shut it down i mean there there are there are advantages to having you know, big events in, in September and, and in October, I mean, 
you know, the, if you've been playing since, you know, some of these kids started in January or February, like, yeah, you, you should shut it down. But, you know, what if, you know, what if you were injured during, during the year? What if you started, you know, you, you, you're from the, the Northeast or, or a state where your season started up in, in, in May even, well, why, why should you have to shut it down then in, in August necessarily? So it, it, it gives some more options for, for kids who, you know, not everybody is on, on the same schedule, but it, it does seem like, you know, I've, I've just been checking in with some, some players, Hey, which, you know, which events are you going to be at? And, and a lot of the pitchers have said, yeah, I'm actually just, you know, I'm, I'm shutting it down for the year. And, and my reaction is like, good, that's, that's a smart thing to yeah, do. Typically in, like in all of, of the, cases. all of the big prominent arms, especially for the current year draft class who have, they've all pitched at all the big events in the summer. Like it's, it's very rare to see all of those players at Jupiter. Um, you typically only get a couple big name guys at that event, because like you said, they've all been pitching at all of these events. Um, and again, especially for the top guys, like you've kind of shown what you can do. You probably feel pretty good about where your stock is at and there's no sense to go press things at Jupiter which is a very intense event in general, but after you've just been pitching the whole summer. So it's a really good event for hitters just to bear down on specifically. So unless you're Mason Wynn, and then you just go out and just, yeah, then you just do everything both man. ways, man. I really hope we get another performance like Mason wins this year, but I'm not expecting it. <laughs> I mean, I had some scouts come up to me after his outing then, and they, they literally said like, yeah, that's, that's the best Jupiter performance we've ever seen with no conditions to that. Like just that's the best individual Jupiter performance ever. It was yeah. amazing. What he, cause he went out and you know what? I was on the other field directly opposite. So it's a Clover setup. I was on the opposite Clover watching Dylan Cruz and Zach Veen uh, because I really wanted to get as many reps uh, with them as I could. And I was like, Oh, Mason Wynn, like, yeah, he's probably pitching. That would be good to see, but I really want to try and get as many reps as possible. Like I said, I was focused on the, on the hitters. And if yeah. I could go back, I would definitely have, have just watched Mason win the whole time. Jupiter is definitely good for giving you FOMO, no matter, oh, no matter what decision yeah. you make. <laughs> that said, that said, if you had to stack those three guys up right now, I mean, Mason Wynn, I love Mason Wynn, but he's he's got to be number three on that list as far as prospects yeah. go. Yeah, I really wish Cruz obviously he pulled his name out of the draft beforehand, but there's probably a pretty good reason he did that. I'm sure he had a pretty good sense of, of where he was going or uh, I would imagine that's the case. Maybe he just really wanted to go to college, but I, I was really high on his bat the entire time. He never had a great, like even at, at that Jupiter event, he was not great. He swung and missed a lot. Uh, I think Zach Fien actually swung and missed a lot too, but he at least showed better um, like swing decisions. He was swinging and missing in the zone, laying off stuff out of the zone. Um, I don't remember that game being particularly good for either of them, but yeah, I think you're right. That that's probably how you would have to line them up. Although Mason Wynn, I haven't checked in on him lately, but I know he's doing really good uh, early on this year. I'm actually going to pull up his numbers and see what he's he's looking like so far. I think that I think that decision for Dylan Cruz is going to work out, though. Yes, I, it's yeah. it's kind of amazing how hard he hit hit the ball as a freshman in the SEC consistently. So Wynn right now. Yeah, the bat is just looking a little bit lighter than maybe you would want. 239, 325, 352 between uh, low A and high A, 94 total games. Uh, and he really started to struggle a little bit more in high A. Yeah. So curious to see if he can kind of rebound there. But offensively, also, certainly those two are, are more exciting. 
And also the, I mean, I don't know if you call it a backup plan or, or not, because he is he, can, he is a two way guy. But you know, <laughs> I guess the the backup plan, if you want to call it that, is go out and be a potential mid rotation or or better starter. <laughs> I guess uh, at, at this point, it's at probably least as as safe to call him a backup guy. Like he is not actively pitching. I don't know what we kind of had the question of well, are they going to let him do the two way thing? Because they announced him as a two way player when they drafted him. Correct. I don't think they just selected him as a shortstop. I could be wrong. Um, but initially we heard they were going to kind of let him do both. Maybe he was just pitching on the side. He's thrown yeah, he pitched, this year. Yeah, I was going to say he did pitch recently, but you're right. I mean, it's been almost predominantly. Yeah. So if he does, if the bat doesn't work, like if he can't hit enough, uh, undoubtedly like put him on the mound and see what he can do. Because again, he was showing three pluses in high school. Yeah. Was... It's, a, it's not like this is some guy like, oh, he has a huge arm. And like, if it doesn't work out, well, maybe we have a big, hard-throwing reliever. If you can find a secondary pitch, like, no, like this, this guy could have been a very high pick just as just as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, out of absolutely, high I think so. But, but now, yeah, now I mean, I'm excited to get to Jupiter. Yeah, there's man, there's a lot going on, <laughs> a lot going on in uh, in Florida over over the next month or so. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's prospect handbook season like we said if we want to call it that and and also cranking up for more underclass stuff we gotta if you're listening to this on wednesday our, our 2023 list is already out uh, otherwise it's it's coming up very mm-hmm. very shortly so um, yeah, for those of you who really jump on the podcast i we i typically try and turn it around just as soon as we finish it's it's not a lot of editing that goes into this podcast it's not a really filtered conversation so um, but maybe for, for our diehard listeners, Ben, you can give them a little, a little preview of the 2023 high school class. You've been on top of it for months and months now. You've got another update tomorrow. I know there might be some uh, open league dynasty players who are really excited to see who's moving up and down that list. Um, I know Matt hits us both up all the time trying to uh, see where players are trending uh, for those purposes. It's, it's kind of crazy to think about someone in a, a baseball dynasty league really focused on 2023 high school players who, I mean, they've got like 10 years <laughs> to wait on these guys. Uh, but it's a real thing that happens, but just in general, how, how is the 2023 high school class shaping up? Are there any guys at the top that you want to mention that you feel like are worth talking about at this point? Because I am excited about just getting an, an additional head start on next year's class with, with all the kind of foundation laying that you're doing right now. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good group. I mean, these are the same, players are basically the same age as, as kids who otherwise would, would normally sign internationally this year, which obviously that process internationally is, is delayed. So it's, yeah, that's it's, a great, it's a great combo for you to have just folks on same age, high school kids and the international guys. Yeah. Like so put things into context really easily definitely. or more naturally than anyone else on our staff for sure. Yeah. It definitely helps have a, a true global perspective of what the top players in the world look like when they're 16, 17, 18 years old and the top, you know, top 10 or so players in the class. I mean, I have a spreadsheet where I keep track of players and every time yeah, I know there, there's a column in that sheet of, of, you know, arrow of, of whether I want to move a player up or down and, I think at one point, every player in our top 10, I was like arrow up, like I <laughs> obviously can't move everybody yeah. up, but these, yeah, a lot of, a lot of guys who were very prominent names coming into the year just helped 
just continue to perform well. Um, you know, I'll give you, if you're listening to this before the list is up, I mean, I'll give you a sneak spoil preview. It, tell you spoil that, it for him. I mean, Max Clark still number one in, <laughs> in the country. I don't think there's going to be much, much surprise about that. He's a center fielder from Indiana. He's committed to Vanderbilt. Just a lot of that Vanderbilt commitment is pretty common. If you look at any of our top players on high school lists, I feel like a lot, a lot of Andy commits in the top tens. Yeah. He's just, man, he, he's just so, he's so polished for his age in everything he does. And he, it's just a really exciting combination of polish to go with excellent tools and athleticism. And he's built like an action figure. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, he's just a really, really good baseball player who projects the stick at a premium position in center fields with a lot of skills, a lot of tools. I, I think he's, he's one of the best athletes in the class. So what is he bad at, Ben? Is he bad at anything? Cause you're breaking like, it down. He's like left-handed hitting premium profile up the middle toolsy, like, is he bad at anything at this point? Like his his worst tool is, I would say, probably his power. But it's not like he doesn't have power. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in games, <laughs> I I mean, he hits the ball out of the park in in BP. I think in games, it's more of a put the ball in play. I mean, I I almost never see. I've seen him play. Man, I saw him play. The NPI, the, the Prep Baseball Reports, National Program Invitational, saw him at a perfect game, their, their junior national showcase, saw him at USA Baseball and their 16 and 17 under national team development program. And then I saw him at area codes and he hit well at area codes. I think they're like four for 10, four for 11, but he swung and missed out there. I was like, I think that's the first time I saw him take a full swing and miss. Yeah. Like he just extremely high contact guy. Well, who... he was, he was one of the few underclassmen at East coast pro. And I think I saw maybe three at bats from him and the first, his like first three at bats, he swung at the very first pitch. I think he flew out twice and singled. So I, I literally saw like three swings from him. He was ready to go. As soon as he stepped in the box, you've certainly seen more, more pitches with Clark than I have. Yeah, just great hand-eye coordination and, and ability to to adjust his swing and and make a lot of contact, put the ball in play. I think it'll be a situation where, I mean, he has power, he has, or he has raw power, he has bat speed. I think as he continues to get stronger and just becomes, uh, I mean, he he is a very smart hitter for his age, but just as he gains more knowledge of all right these are the pitches I should try to turn on and, and drive for damage rather than just trying to put the ball in play as, as he gets into his, you know, twenties and, and mid twenties, you'll, you'll see more power, more game power from him too. It's, I mean, like I said before, he's, he's committed to Vanderbilt. So, you know, you, you know, it, it makes sense. You see the same programs, you know, a, a program will recruit the same type of players a lot of time because you have the same people who are making decisions, whether it's the head coach or a recruiting coordinator or other coaches on staff who are going out and, and evaluating these players. But like, I, I think of, you know, Robert Hassel and, and Pete Crow Armstrong, and it's 
kind of a, a blend of of those two players in, I mean, in some ways. If you could combine those two players, I feel like, and, and I feel like that's a good combo too, because really if you combine all those tool sets, the only tool that you maybe question of like, okay, how impactful is it going to be is that power. So I feel like those are pretty two pretty good comps just in general of what you're talking about here and kind of speaks to just how impressive Clark is as a prospect because Pete Armstrong, I mean, one of the best, probably the most instinctual defensive center fielder that I've seen, maybe like Mike Siani is the other guy who stands out in that department. But I think, I think Siani was a little bit twitchier than, than PCA was just when I was watching him. So, and then you combine that with Robert Hassel, who was probably the best pure hitter in his draft class. That's, that's a pretty good player for left-handed hitting center fielder. I mean, have you got a sense of how good Clark is defensively? I know, in kind of our capsules, you write that he projects to stick there, but what kind of a defender have you seen? I've, I've seen really good instincts too. I mean, I'm not going to put him up at the PCA level just because give him another year and get, get him a little bit more time to evaluate and see how it comes along just because Pete Crow Armstrong, like you said, I mean, I mean, I don't think either of us would be shocked if, if Pete Crow Armstrong, if, if he turns into an everyday big league or goes on to win a gold glove award. I mean, that's, that's how good Pete Crow Armstrong is in yeah. center field, but yeah, Max Clark is, I mean, he's a six, five runner, plenty of speed for center field, really good instincts, jumps routes. And, and, you know, he's up to the low nineties from the left side off the mound. I mean, he'd be, if you just had him as a pitching prospect, he'd be a legit pitching prospect too, but that's, that's not really coming into, into play here. He's, he's a, He's a true center fielder. I think he has a chance to be a plus defender in center field too, and uh, has a chance to hit at the top of the lineup. So um, made that 18U trials team for for USA baseball. So there's just, I mean, you really got to, I think, nitpick to poke, poke many holes in his game, at least relative for, uh, you know, a 2023 high school player. Yeah, I think he if, if he kind of just stays the course here, I feel like he's got a chance to be one of the highest drafted preps from Indiana we've seen in a long time. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll pull it up here when you talk about another player. But I, I think Matt wrote, and, and it was actually in Open World Dynasty post, that Max Clark was kind of a player to know. And I, I do think he probably stacks up pretty well with just high school players out of the state in recent years. But who, who are some other guys people should be aware of at the top of this list? Um, I don't know how how deep you want to go and how much you want to just save for their website, but feel free to just kind of take it in whatever direction you want then. Yeah, because I mean, the other – Clark is the a other, fun one, but – Yeah, the lot. other – I was going to say the other outfielder, I think he really moved up, and we already had him in the top 10 before this update, but he, he moved up some more was Walker Jenkins, who – I mean, he was so good that he ended up making the final 18U national team for USA Baseball uh, earlier this month as an underclassman. I, I think it was it was him, it was uh, Blake Mitchell, a catcher and a right-handed pitcher from Texas, uh, Walter Ford, who's who's a right-handed pitcher and an infielder from Alabama, and Kate Anderson, who's a, uh, just a really polished, uh, really good feel for uh for pitching left-hander out of louisiana but obviously the rest of the team was all 2022 high school players so um but yeah seeing seeing walker jenkins outfielder from north carolina at usa their 17u 
16U national team development program. I didn't realize, I didn't realize quite how physical this guy mm-hmm. was. I mean, he's like 6'3", I mean, listed 205. Uh, I'm sure he'll get even bigger and, and stronger, but yeah, big, strong, athletic, and, and just one of the better pure hitters in the class too. And also has probably, I mean, some of the best raw power in, in the class too. I could see him I mean, left-handed hitter, a guy who could hit in the middle of the lineup one day. And it's a, a lot of kids too, at, at this age, who are, are big power hitters have, have holes in their swing or, or they're very pull conscious, but his, his barrel stays on plane for, for a good amount of time. And he really drives the ball with impact to left field. Uh, been, I've been hearing about him from, from scouts before then and uh, hearing a lot of good things, but uh, seeing him in person, I was like, Whoa, this, this guy makes a lot of contact. He knows the strike zone. He has huge power. He he hits to all fields. And I mean, he's a big guy. I, I expect he'll probably end up a corner outfielder, but I mean, you see the video posted on, on my Instagram. I think the BA account um, posted as well on, uh, on social media, Twitter and Instagram. And it's, it's definitely in, in his, in his video within his capsule, but he made a, unbelievable diving catch in center field uh just charging in on a ball so he mm-hmm. certainly runs well enough and, and has the the instincts and athleticism and, and and a strong arm too to to handle center field for right now but i, I think it's a, a potential middle of the order bat who i mean if 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 he does end up going to to right field as everything in there to be a potential plus defender on yeah. a corner too so we got a lot of talent in the outfield. Uh, a little bit of me is thinking about how good the 2020 high school class was in terms of outfield prospects. But beyond those two, does it continue with outfielders? Are there any pitchers that are notable? Are there any infielders that are notable, catchers that are notable you want to touch on, uh, or just any other players that you want to uh, tease out here for the podcast listeners? Yeah, the the, the pitchers, I mean, the, the two big pitchers I think this year are uh, or Walter Ford, who I touched on earlier, mm-hmm. um, seeing him again for for USA, just just pretty electric again. I mean, he's he'll sit, you know, ninety one to to ninety five. I've I've seen him up to ninety seven. Uh, really good bite on on his slider. A good athlete on the mound, and he also is. I mean, he's he's a two way player uh the more i see him the more i i like him more on the mound but he has he has big power he has big power you're talking about a 16 year old who's touching 97 that doesn't surprise me too much Uh, yeah it's pretty ridiculous so um he made he made that 18u national team and and threw well against canada out there too so um, yeah he threw i think he threw three innings struck out four walked two didn't allow a hitter a run in his time. So it's, it's tough at, with USA for, especially for just this event, none of the pitchers got a ton of innings. I mean, the innings leader was, was Cade Fisher with eight. Um, so it's tough to really go too far into what they did, but yeah, he, he performed well, didn't allow a hitter a run. I mean, I don't know how you can not be happy with that. Yeah. did well in the trials too. Uh, so when they were playing intra squad, so USA yep. versus USA, which probably is probably even a better test 
for, yeah, I would, for I would those guys definitely. seeing the, you know, seeing a 2023 against, I mean, I don't know. I don't remember exactly who he faced, but you know, you're seeing a lot of the top players who will be yeah. top picks in the 2022 draft. So he definitely jumped out. And then, and then Thomas white, obviously left-handed pitcher from Massachusetts who, um, I've been fortunate because he hasn't done a lot of big showcase stuff over over this year, but I've I've been able to see him pitch four times. So. Yeah, I feel confident that uh, if people have been listening to every episode of this podcast, they probably know who Thomas White is. Ben, you, you've been kind of on Thomas White longer than anyone I know of. So, I mean, geography helps you out, but you you've been on top of him. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. So, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's a little Frank Mazzucato for the twenty twenty three class. He's uh yeah I mean six fives just extremely minimal effort in his delivery just very free and easy, uh, and then the ball comes out of his hand that it's it's low to mid nineties. He's got a good changeup. I don't even know if he realizes how good that pitch is yet because I don't think he really needs to throw it all that much. Uh, but I I think he's he's I mean lefty with a, a big fastball will probably be thrown in the upper 90s at, at some point in in the next couple of years really good changeup, two different breaking pitches uh you know we'll see if he continues going curveball and slider or kind of just goes to to the slider that he's you know really introduced into that mix of his this year so um, you know all the usual caveats with 16 year old pitchers and, and especially guys with uh a lot of long levers and things like that, trying to make sure everything stays synced up. But um, he's to, he, he's he's our top pitching prospect in in this class, and um, he's already know. six foot five, two hundred. I'm curious to see if he's going to get any more any taller, or if he's kind of capped out height wise, and it'll just add add more strength to that frame. Curious to see how the body develops over the next few years. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I think there's even there's there's even more velocity probably coming from him not that he not that he lacks much of it right now all right well that was a uh, a fairly good preview of the 2023 class if you want more info on all those players again if you're listening tuesday afternoon tuesday evening you have our current 2023 high school list up now that's going to be updated wednesday um, but you can go ahead and dive into all these players. Ben has capsules written on everyone who's ranked uh, to get a, a good head start on that class. If you are such a diehard prospect hound that getting a head start in the 2022 class is not enough for you, all of that is available on the website as well. Um, so what are we going to dive into next year, Ben? Uh, we have a ton of questions we could get to, but I, I'm almost tempted to go back to one of your comments that you made at the beginning of the podcast about Glaber Torres going from shortstop to second and just kind of talking about what a player has to do to stick at shortstop because I feel like that's just an interesting conversation in general and especially so with how the game is changing um, but I'm curious how you think of that like what are you looking for for a player and you might be uniquely qualified to talk about this because when I have conversations about domestic players ability to stick at shortstop a very frequent comment from amateur scouts who are who are scouting for the draft is that the bar is set so high for domestic shortstops because they they kind of just jokingly point at all of the latin shortstops 
who do everything that they can do better at a higher level. Um, and if you just look at the, the number of everyday shortstops at the big league level that come uh, from the international um, signing class rather than a draft, I, th- I think it's similar to catchers. I'd actually be curious to, to see what that number is right now, to see if it's changed or if it's pretty consistent. Uh, but it's a high bar to stick at shortstop defensively. And I think there are, there are probably multiple. I think that bar probably shifts depending on the organization that you talk to. Some teams definitely seem to value that premium defender at shortstop. Others seem to be much more focused on offense and they will be willing to deal with a much lesser uh, defensive shortstop if you can hit. So just kind of just this overall conversation of scouting a shortstop, what are the signs that maybe lead you to project a guy to third base or second base rather than an everyday type? Um, just kind of with the, the Glaber Torres comment, I wanted to throw it to you and see what you thought about all this. And, and Glaber is an interesting guy because I mean, I remember seeing and, or I remember covering him when he, before he signed in, in 2013 and we had, I mean, our top three international prospects that year, Number number one was Eloy Jimenez. Number two was Glaber Torres. Number three was Rafael Devers. Three very different players. I hat tip to the Cubs for signing the top two. Yeah, nice of, job of those guys. Good but sign for decent, Christian Hernandez, I guess. Yeah, decent decent signing class there. So, um, but even even at that time, as you know, again, Glaber Torres is the number two player in all of. All, all the entire international signing class and the number one shortstop. But even at that time, there were questions about, uh, you know, again, he's 16 at this time. Is he going to stay at shortstop or is he going to go to second base or maybe third base or, or maybe a guy who can play a little bit of shortstop and move around. And, you know, I, I think the Yankees moved him to shortstop just out of necessity. Like, all right, well, this is our best option at shortstop right now. And we think he can be a playable or, or a passable defensive shortstop. And, and now they're just coming to the point where all right, this is the defense just has not progressed to the point where we're comfortable with him handling shortstop at, at the major league level right now. But, you know, if, if you go back to when he was 16, you know, one of the, one of the things you're looking at at that time is just body type and you don't, you don't know how a player is going to develop physically, but you can make an educated prediction, at least, based on, on history, uh, especially if you've seen and been around long enough to have history where, where you've seen a lot of players over the years and you know how different body, players with different body types tend to develop. And he was always a guy with the you know, a a thicker lower half and the, the concern there is, you know, guys like a thicker lower half or or wide hips, they're, they're just going to get bigger and heavier and slow down. And that's, that's going to affect their range. And I I think that was always one of the concerns with him specifically. And, And that's one of the things that scouts look at, especially when you're looking at teenage shortstops right when you're looking at an international shortstop who's who's 16 or or somebody you know a high school player out of the draft who's who's 18 or 17 or sometimes now 19 (laughs) years old so 
um, you know, body type, the younger you are plays a bigger role. Uh, you know, once, once a player is, is older, like, you know, you're looking at a triple a guy, then it's like, all right, well, well let's just evaluate the, the actual skill set that he has now. Like we, we, we can see different guys with different body types, you know, from Jose Iglesias or, or Alcides Escobar to Carlos Correa and, uh, or, or Corey Seager. There are diff- different guys with very different body types who are are capable of, of playing shortstop. But I mean, with Seager too, that was one of the concerns as well. Right? How much, you know, he's six foot four, you know, probably about 200 or so pounds in, in high school, maybe a little bit less and uh, not a great runner. So how, what is that going to do to his range as he gets older? But he, you know, he was able to answer that question. So um, Bo Bichette, another example of a guy where, I mean, if you saw him, especially going into his senior year of high school, you saw a guy who was, you know, getting compared to like Josh Donaldson, right? Like that kind yeah. of body type, but he, he made a, a concerted effort to get himself into better shape, better, better physical condition and, and start actually working at, at his defense, which just really hadn't been much of a, a priority for him before. So, I mean, we can talk about different things like hands and, and footwork and mm-hmm. instincts and, and first step quickness, but um, at least the, the, the younger you go, um, body type is, is, is definitely a, um, a, a factor as far as trying to make a prediction on whether a guy is going to stick at shortstop, but a lot of the times still guys can, guys can prove you wrong. Do you feel like range is not as important a factor now when we're living in a world of ever increasing shifts? Do you feel like that is a, like you talk about body types with guys who are, are going to slow down because of maybe a thicker lower half at a younger age. Do you feel like that concern can be discounted a little bit in the current environment? Um, with, with just range, I think maybe even just hitters elevating the ball more consistently in general, uh, or, or do you still think that the range is one of the kind of top skills or tools that you're looking for for a defender at shortstop? I think range is still the, the factor that leads the, to the most defensive runs saved for you as a, as a shortstop. I mean – you still need a guy, you know, you need a player who has, you know, really good footwork and really good hands at shortstop. You just can't be a butcher in, <laughs> in the infield, especially at, at shortstop, but the range is what gives you the ability to make plays that really do save runs and really do add value for you defensively. So, uh, you know, I think shifts maybe can help, mask some of that but i I still think you i I still think range is is extremely important for for a shortstop i i I don't like hiding a guy with you know below average range at at shortstop it's tough too right because we're talking about like having this conversation about the best major league shortstops versus the worst major league shortstops is a lot different than talking about amateur players who are currently playing shortstop. I mean, the skill, the skill variance there is so much greater. The worst major league shortstop in baseball, 
you can't even really compare him to like the worst shortstop on a top like 2022 like showcase team like just the variance is massive so for me the bar is always really really high because every level you you step up you're going to be competing with someone who is who is better than you've played with before at shortstop and I just feel like the bar gets higher and higher is there anything that immediately jumps out to you as like this is a non-starter for a player at shortstop um, for me, I feel like it maybe is arm strength. Like you just kind of have to be able to get the ball across the diamond. And for players like, I mean, Nick Madrigal is one. I feel like most scouts pretty pretty quickly put him at second base because of his arm strength. I always thought he he would have a chance to play shortstop just because I thought his actions played up enough to allow him to handle that position. And when I was very young, David Eckstein told me he could play shortstop right now when he was like 16 years old in high school. So that <laughs> that left an impression on me as well. Uh, but is there anything for you that is, is kind of a non-starter for a player doesn't meet X uh, to stick at shortstop or, or is it just the, the kind of the body type that you're talking about? I, I mean, I, I think the hands and, and footwork, especially the footwork is, is important. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, th- sometimes those are things that can get, those are things that can get better and you mm-hmm. can teach a guy, you, you can coach and teach some of that. And, and I think pro ball, especially for, especially for American players too, or like, you know, like if you're, if you're a shortstop in the Dominican Republic, you're, you're probably training five, six days a week. And, I'll, and I'm you, glad you brought that up. Cause I was going to ask what you thought the difference was in shortstop play internationally versus domestically, because it does seem like there is some difference in, is it just a matter of reps? Is it, yeah, well, I guess, what is it? I mean, I, I think it's a combination of things. One is that, I mean, just in the United States, the best athletes are playing a bunch of different sports. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, you, you do have some really, really good athletes, obviously from the United States who are playing baseball, but in in the Dominican Republic or in Venezuela, I mean, all the best athletes grow up wanting to play baseball. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a, obviously there's a much greater population in, in the United States compared to the Dominican Republic or, or Venezuela too, but there's, you, you just have a, yeah, a selection of, if you of, are the top athlete and you've been playing just baseball since you were four years old, that would probably lead to a different skill set than if you were a top athlete in America playing basketball, playing baseball, playing football, where you, you can really hone in on those small details and fine tune those skills at a deeper level. If you're only ever playing baseball. Right. And if you, and if you're a great athlete from Illinois, well, there's also limitations to what you can do <laughs> as far as training as an infielder compared to somebody who's, you know, you're, you're a clone who lives in the Dominican Republic where the weather is good. I mean, it might rain sometimes, obviously, but otherwise like you can go out and train year round. And from the time these kids are, you know, 16, 15, 14, 13, uh, even younger, sometimes they're in programs where, where they're training and, and they're, you know, usually a lot of times playing up with, with older kids and, and they have a coach there who can, hit them fungos all day 
if if they want so you just get so much now it's not the same thing necessarily as a game obviously you, you can see some differences in um you know game game actions and and game speed and and game decision making um but as far as as far as working on your hands working on your footwork i think you just have a lot more opportunities to to work at that if you're you know if you grow up in the dominican republic compared to I mean, even a, even a college player, it's again, your certain limits based on either weather or, or just class. It's, it's not your full-time job. And, and you see the the solution then we should stop (laughs) sending kids to class and just have them take more fungos. Well, well, I do think it's, it's an advantage for players who are in, in pro ball and and we can see them get better in pro ball defensively because you just have so much more time because baseball now Mm -hmm. is, is your full full-time job it's it's your full life uh you have more time to to practice more time for early work more more support from your player development staff from from your coaches who can who can focus in on you you know especially if if you are one of the better prospects in in your organization i mean Derek jeter is always the one that's frequently cited for this and was brought up to me last summer he recently went to the Hall of Fame, so it's timely. But every scout is always talking about the growth that Derek Jeter made as a defender, the amount of errors he made early on in his pro career, and just how the the additional reps and his work ethic in trying to to get better eventually paid off for him. And obviously, he has a slew of awards to recognize that, and he's in the Hall of Fame now. But yeah, to your point, you can get a lot better once you kind of get into pro ball and get those additional reps and that additional coaching. I mean, Xander Bogarts was was a guy like that uh Bo, i mean we mentioned Bo Bichette again he's another example where coming out of high school you would think all right well may probably goes over to to third base and and you know would still profile well over there and then hearing more reports out of him this his first full season out was like actually like it seems like he's getting better defensively and then the following year i was watching him a ton because that double a team in new hampshire I'd go up and see all the time because I had him and Vladdy Jr. and Biggio was there and and Lourdes Gurriel was there for a little bit and, and had some pretty solid arms too. So, I mean, I'd be watching him all the time and I'd be like, this guy's a a shortstop. And maybe other people thought he wasn't because they were just going off of outdated information from maybe back to when he was in, in high school when he was drafted. And it's like, no, like this guy's put in – a ton of work to get better on the defensive side. Like he just, I mean, he said, he's like, look, no, I was just focused on, on hitting in, in high school. That's, that's what I was good at. Um, I was very aggressive in everything that I did. That's what I was always taught to do. So I would just, you know, the, I would get a ground ball and I would charge at it. And I learned, Oh, that's not <laughs> what you should do on, on every ground ball yeah sure like on the slow roller where you got to be quick but um you know getting a just getting more repetitions working with the with the blue jays coaches just having a lot more time to develop and focus on that and i'm sure there was a chip on his shoulder too of wanting to prove people wrong (laughs) say no i i am a shortstop so i'm sure that was a Mm -hmm. motivating factor for him too the difference is not as extreme but i do think it's interesting to just look at Jeter and Bichette's fielding percentage in the minor leagues 
versus majors. And, and I know that fielding percentage is, is far from the end all be all to evaluate defense, um, but it is just an easy kind of metric just to, to plug and play here. Jeter over the minors, and he was in the minors for nine seasons, although I guess that, that probably includes some rehab stints here and there. Yeah, he was but not. But either way, <laughs> not, yeah, look at the innings compared to that. But his fielding percentage at shortstop in the minors, um, 9.33 compared to 9.76 in the majors. And it's, it's similar for Bichette, not quite as extreme, but his minor league fielding percentage as a shortstop was 948 and his major league fielding percentage is 956. So both of them showing growth. Obviously, Jesus is a bit, bit more um, stark in the difference there, but it does kind of speak to your point that the, the growth can happen. It takes time. You need the reps. And I do think that, I mean, you, you've kind of mentioned it here, but the makeup and the work ethic is a huge part of it. And maybe it's to the point now where I'm overstating some of these soft skills and, and kind of mental skills you need to have, because maybe just every player in pro ball has that kind of work ethic. But I do think that that matters as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are things like when you look at a short, like if, if you see a guy who has big, heavy, big, heavy, lumbering footwork, he, he's he's got hard hands like. And then again, going back to some of the body type stuff, there there are certain guys where you see where you just say, all right, well, this is not – some of this might get better, but again, the, the bar is so high for a major league shortstop that you can tell pretty early on that's that's not a guy who's going to stick at shortstop. There's only you know roughly 30 or so guys who are starting shortstops in – in the major leagues and even even the guys who are at the very lower end of, of the defensive scale relative to other starting shortstops in the big leagues are pretty good at it. I mean, like you said earlier, the amateur guys, like e e just go watch, go watch like a rookie ball game. <laughs> you, you can see guys making all kinds of head scratching plays, whether it's, you know, Dominican summer league or, or one of the complex leagues in Florida or Arizona, or, or even in, in low a, and you see some things you're like, Oh man, like you, you just get a much greater appreciation of how talented major league, just major league players in general are at <laughs> defense, not just shortstops, but third yeah. baseman, second baseman, uh, as well so um it's yeah I, I to me that's i i i recommend anybody who can obviously it's harder now than maybe it was a couple of years ago to go see a, a rookie ball game but <laughs> it's if, if you can go watch guys in in rookie ball or or college baseball too and you just get a a, a deeper appreciation for for how good these guys are in the big leagues Yep, no doubt. Uh, I think we're going to take a quick break here, Ben, then get into a few more things and dive into everyone's questions because we do have a lot to get to. Uh, but thank you to everyone who has stuck with us to this point. We'll be right back after a quick break. All right, we are back. Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. Uh, ben, I wanted to talk a little bit about age versus level and how we evaluate players. I, I think we've talked about this maybe in passing in the past on the podcast, but it's been something that's, that's been brought up recently. Josh had a post at baseball America where he was kind of looking at 10, 10 players who have really performed against older competition 
Uh, two of the favorites on the podcast here, Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, placed very favorably on that list, but there are more um, that you can check out. But how important is age versus level in, in prospect evaluation and how we see players today? I think it, it's, it's definitely a factor. It definitely matters. Um, Kyle had a really good story today, too, on some players who were, you know, guys who are who came into the year. I think it was outside of the top 10 prospects in the organization and but are, are just continuing to hit at the upper levels. Guys who maybe don't get a ton of fanfare, but deserve some more attention. And and there's definitely guys who I think get overlooked or, or or written off sometimes because they're older for for their level and that again that that age is is a factor i mean you mentioned you mentioned joe gray earlier and like he came out this year and he was phenomenal mm-hmm. in low a but you know as a as a 21 year old who has been in pro ball since 2018. And I thought, you know, all right, like that's, that's, that's very good that he's off to such a good start, but this is also somebody who's been in professional baseball for, you know, I guess it's his four, it's his fourth year, obviously 2020, nothing happened. He did play some then at, uh, um, you know, instructionally that, that kind of stuff, but the, the track record up until then was pretty uninspiring. I mean, he, he was a very good athlete with a lot of tools, but a lot of strikeouts and and holes in his game. So, okay. This is an example of somebody where, all right, I'm, I'm very intrigued. He's a much better prospect than, than we thought he was back in back in March or April but it's still based on based on the history based on him being 21 and in low a let's let's see what happens and and since he's got promoted his his numbers have cooled considerably yeah quite a bit I was was about to bring that up but I don't remember when we specifically had that Joe Gray conversation at what point in the year um, but in low A with Carolina, he hit 289, 407, 632, over 51 games with a 14% walk rate and a 26% strikeout rate. Since his promotion um, to high A, where is he, Wisconsin, he has hit 223, 316, 394. The walk rate is down to 8.4%. The strikeout rate is up to 29%. So I think a lot of what we said was probably right, but, but I'll, I'll kind of let you continue the point that you were making. So, but, but at the same time, I don't like writing off a player just because he is older for Mm -hmm. his level, because I I think you just have to look at each, you still have to evaluate the player that you're seeing on the field. And, and each player has different circumstances of, of why he's that age at that level and and i think that's especially true this year when we just had an entire season wiped out by the pandemic so you have a lot of players who 
probably would be a level and also wiped out a pretty significant chunk of the minor leagues too. So you have a lot of players who under normal circumstances probably would be a level higher than they are right now. So you might think they're old for their level, but again, you have to keep that context in mind. And, and I think one good example this year is with the Royals, uh, Vinny mm-hmm. Pasquantino, who is a big left-handed first baseman who was a an 11th round pick of the Royals out of Old Dominion in 2019. So he played in played in the Appy League his first year. All right, I'm I'm Rest know, in again, peace. Yeah. So um yeah, again, 21 year old in the Appy League, hitting well there. Not gonna go jump up and down about that, but okay. So he doesn't play last year, obviously, right? So this year he goes. It, it's this is his first full season in in pro ball. He goes out to quad cities to high a as a 23 year old so all right you could say he's old for his level but he's hitting he's getting on base he's hitting for power and now he's promoted to double a all right you'd say more age appropriate now and he's continuing to to hit to walk more than he strikes out and hit for power i mean he has I think if it's not more extra base hits than strikeouts, it's it's an almost one-to-one ratio for him for extra base hits to strikeouts, which is just a like a quick and dirty shorthand way of saying this guy doesn't strike out a lot and he hits for a lot of power, which is a really good combination. Yeah, he has 63 extra base hits and 61 strikeouts with 61 walks thrown in there. So yeah. So yeah, a little over one to one extra base hits to strikeouts, one to one walks to strikeouts. So again, patience, good strike zone discipline, power, contact. perfect on the bases, five for five and stone base <laughs> attempts too. So, so there you go. Yeah, I mean that to me is like well, the the biggest one is all right. Well, he is a big six foot four, two hundred forty five pound <laughs> first baseman. So so the bar is high for him to clear mm-hmm. and i'm not saying he's paul goldschmidt right yeah but like you know paul goldschmidt was a late round pick he was an eighth i think yeah eighth round pick of the diamondbacks out of also not you know texas state not a you know not a powerhouse program coming coming out of college and early on in his career you could say he was you know a little bit older he's 22 and in the Cal league, but by the time, I mean, double a is usually a a pretty good test for these guys to see what's real and what's not by the time he got to double a, I mean, I'm pretty sure he ranked at that point coming out with our new league top, top prospects list soon, but pretty sure I ranked him the number two prospects in, in the Southern league that year. Cause the guys who were seeing him were saying this guy, I mean, He's, he's just a really good, a good balance at the plate, good swing power. He had really cut down on his strikeouts from, from the previous year. So it's, I mean, it, like in Pasquantino's case and, and, you know, plenty, some other examples too, from, from, you know, of, of other hitters who have done this, you know, Jeff McNeil uh, is a good example. You can only play where you're assigned, 
So yeah, you just you, you can't just write off a player because he's old for his level. Now you can rightly view it with some some skepticism. skepticism. Sure, yeah. like all right, Colton Cowser's off to a great start. Like, well, sure, like a call, you know, the top ten overall college pick should be hitting well in in low A. Uh, but at, at the same time, yeah, you, you don't want to write off a guy just mm-hmm. because he's old for his level. And, and you really have to take a, a look at each player on and as an individual and, and what he's doing uh, based on his own circumstances. This is a great conversation because I do feel like it's easy to get youth obsessed and just like, like you're talking about discount players because they're older than their competition. You just kind of write it off. And I also need to just basically clip out that entire segment and send it to my dynasty league fantasy football group because they're entirely focused on youth and I can never trade any of my older players who are studs. So I really need to uh, send this to them so I can How does have the some trades go down. Dynasty fantasy football league. So work. it's uh it's basically like Matt's fantasy baseball leagues, except for football. I mean, you keep your team. It's not in the, you're not really like acquiring a, a farm system. You basically just don't redraft year after year. You keep your entire team. Um, and your main draft is just rookie drafts to supplement. So, so you can get like whatever Alabama running back is out there right now. Yeah. So Texas this year, there high school football. This year, we actually had a tanking. We had a tanking race in the league. Some of the bottom teams were tanking to get Trevor Lawrence uh, because he is like the dude this year. Um, and we're also switching to two quarterback league. But anyways, we don't. We don't need to talk about fantasy, fantasy football. But yeah. Uh, I, I think your point is a good one that we don't need to get so age obsessed that, that we write off guys like, like you said, Jeff McNeil. I mean, others that Kyle highlighted, David Fletcher, Fran Reyes, Yandy Diaz, Luke Voigt. Uh, all of those are players who popped when they were, were a little bit older or uh, broke out in the upper levels of the minors. I mean, Randy Rosarena is another good one. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, if, if you want to dive into more of those players, I won't spoil Kyle's piece because it's definitely worth the read. But Jake Myers, an outfitter from the Astros, who's 25 years old, um, definitely on the older side of things when we're talking about prospects, he tops the list. And there are a number of other interesting players that you guys can dive through if you check that out. So um, yeah, go see that from Kyle. And, and a good point from you ben just overall but yeah um, ben ben zobris is another mm-hmm. example of that too i mean he went to and he's such a fun player in pretty much every way right yeah <laughs> he he got he was at dallas baptist as a senior so he got drafted when he was 23 years old so he went out we actually ranked him i suspect this was an aaron fit list because he he actually ranked as a number five prospect in the new york Penn league that year as a 23 year old in the New York Penn league who, I mean, he, he had a really good season. He hit, I mean, didn't, wasn't a lot of power. That, that was always kind of the mark on him throughout his career, throughout his minor league career. It was that he was this, you know, an older guy. He was, he was 24 the next year in, in low a and high a, he was 25 the, the year after that in double a, and, and throughout his minor league career, he's always a, a single digits home run guy, but he always, he always hit really well. He always got on base. Yeah, really good on really base numbers. Clip. Yeah, really good walk to strikeout numbers throughout his career, which, which isn't, you know, which is not everything. I mean, 
Mike, Mike O'Neill is a great example of that with the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, he was an older guy and he was, he was, I think he was a corner outfielder if I remember right, but he had like, like three times as many walks <laughs> strikeouts or no, something. It's... No, go ahead. Sorry. I'll, I'll make my point after you finish. No, but... that's, uh, I was, he just, you know, he didn't have any skill mm-hmm. other than a, a, an unbelievable batting eye, but go yeah. on. The, I, I think this is just, it works out perfectly for the point you're, you've been making, but the first line of that report, whether it was fit or otherwise for that uh, New York Penn league, number five prospect, the first line is if not for his age, Zobris might have been at the top of this list. And I'm really curious to see who the guys in front of him were on that list to see if we, if we could redo it now, who we would rank. I, I probably lost to the arc. I would have to like get Brent to, to pull up that list, but maybe we can uh, follow up on that in the next podcast episode. If I can't find a really quickly here to see. I'm, I'm sure they did not end up having the career that Ben Zobris had, obviously with the unbelievable, amount of hindsight bias I have to <laughs> to be able to say that. But I mean, look, like what, again, you don't want to, I, I certainly can understand skepticism of him as a 24 year old in low A, but at the same time, he, he can only, he can only go where he's assigned. <laughs> and if, as a guy continues to do it in, in the upper levels, like this was a guy who was drafted at, at, 23 years old so we can't control that i mean i understand all right so he's 24 and low a he's mm-hmm. i mean he's he's older then than like bo bichette is <laughs> right now i mean he might be the same age as glaber torres right yeah. so it's a, it's you know, some skepticism certainly is warranted but you still have to evaluate the player it's not like you know if you have a player who's 23 in low a and he's he's repeating the league again, not that he's seeing the exact same pitchers and, uh, and all that, but the speed of the game is, is going to be the same. So there's, there's going to be some more skepticism there. That's, uh, that's, that's warranted, but guy, yeah, guys like guys like Zobrist who are, who just keep performing. I think it's important not to, not to overlook them just because, Oh, well, he's old for, for his league. So he's obviously, he's obviously not a guy we need to, to pay attention to. Yep. All right. For all you old people out there, this has been your, your podcast. Age is not everything. You are still valuable. Um, let's dive into some listener questions. We have a ton. Um, I don't think that we're going to get to all of them. Uh, but for all of you who have sent in questions, don't worry. We're probably just going to push a couple of them to our next episode next week. Ben's traveling. So we're probably going to have to shift it to a little bit earlier in the week. Um, and it might turn into a more mailbag heavy episode, but we'll dive into as many as we can here. And hopefully yours was one of them. And if not, again, don't fear. We're still going to keep them on here and get to it next time. Yeah. You can always send us questions to at, at future pro pod on Twitter or drop them. I put out a call on my Instagram stories too. So you can mm-hmm. drop them there and you can just drop them in, especially on, on Twitter. Anytime we'll, we'll, we'll keep checking them and updating the mailbag. Yeah, for sure. Um, Triple Deke Glove Side on Instagram asks, is there a scenario that would result in Kumar Rocker getting selected higher in next year's draft than where he went in 2020? I think it's tough, but. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. It, it depends. It's tough for us to say in part because we don't know the, I don't know what went 
what yeah, exactly so, so much of this is just information we don't have so it's hard to really speak authoritatively on it but i do think just like based on the decision the mets made i'm assuming the injury was serious and that just makes me skeptical that he will especially given the fact that it, it sounds like he's not going to be pitching in college so he's I'm guessing at this point, I don't have any clarity on it, but I'm guessing he's going to do the indie ball route or something like that, or maybe even just work on his own. It's hard to really say at this point in time with any sort of confidence. It's, it's basically just me guessing, but basically putting a lot of stock into what the Mets decision was. And, and because of that, I'll say I, I would be surprised. Uh, but again, Carter Stewart had a situation with the Braves. He looked pretty good early on and then kind of tailed off. So it's, it's hard to say. I, I would guess probably not just based on the information I have now, but that obviously could change um, I'm, pretty significantly. I'm less inclined to give the Mets medical department the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I'm not saying they're conjuring up something yeah. that doesn't exist, but it's I, like, I, I mean, he pitched all season. I mean, certainly there were some times where you could see velocity fluctuations, but he was healthy right up till I think right I'm also the throwing end. the Mets in with like just the track record that all these other teams who have like not signed players because of asymptomatic medical issues and how that seems to have worked out well for the team's favor. So, I mean, there's definitely a case I could be putting too much stock into the team's opinion here without. Yeah, really knowing the I, details, I could also again, see it. I could also see a team, you know, I mean, would it, would it stun you if the nationals took a chance on a guy who is being advised by Scott, by the Boris Corporation, who is a gigantic pitcher with some medical risk? Like, <laughs> like that wouldn't, yeah, that's wouldn't, true. wouldn't, wouldn't stun me for see a team like that take, uh, I want to say take a chance. I mean, draft a, a player like that. And then the right other now, the Nationals would be picking fifth if the uh, standings hold, which, which seems crazy. That's got to so, be the highest they picked in a long time. Yeah, so that wouldn't that wouldn't stun me, and and then the other factor too is well, all right, again, like so, slate, so say it's the Nationals at five, you could probably get them there for an under slot deal. So some of it also is he going to go higher than ten? Well, maybe if he goes higher, he gets under slot, but not as much. I think we should peg it at six Mets. million. Does he get more or less than six million next year? Ooh, it makes it more interesting. I I would say I would say less. Yeah, I'd probably Less than that would be my bet at least. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that is an interesting question. If maybe not, maybe we can have the most. Like, I, I don't feel good about the answer I gave, if, if that makes sense. But um, Vince Electric on Instagram says, Where does Cam Collier fit in this draft? Um, and can you talk about the pros and cons of reclassifying and others who've done it? Um, well, that's a good one. We have Cam Collier slotted into this draft class, at least on our high school list. We'll have a a combined list out at some point in the future, probably before we've done it in the past. So you can get a better sense of where he's stacking up with the, the class at large. But I think on the high school side, he probably fits outside right outside of the like elite group of hitters, and, and, but not too far after them. I think most people would probably pretty comfortably take Tamar, Elijah and Andrew Jones in this group above cam. But, but beyond that, when, once you get past those three names, if Collier was one of the first bats that you brought up, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, at this point, we have him just outside the top 10 on our high school list. If that gives you an idea of where he slots in, I think he's probably uh, the youngest player in the class now. Him and Nas Mule um, would be those two. Uh, yeah, but that's Brady where he fits. Too. Yeah, he would be up there. Yeah, that's just another guy. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so Collier's a guy who 
he was in the 2023 high school class, but he just absolutely clobbered the baseball everywhere he went and usually playing against 2022s this summer. So he's he's reclassifying and and will be in this in this 2022 draft. So yeah, him and him and Brady Neal Neal reclassified a little bit earlier, but Collier is is uh, is is the, definitely the biggest name who's who's reclassifying. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as pros cons, um, I think most of the players who who have reclassed in recent years are probably the ones who know they can handle it. And uh, I'm I'm sure it's a decision that's not made lightly. And a lot of these players aren't just going to to do that and then kind of get lost in the shuffle. I mean, Blaze Blaze Jordan is a probably the most famous name of a player who reclassed. Um, it didn't really hurt him at all. I think maybe. The, the hype surrounding blaze himself just because of how much attention he had from just casual baseball community, maybe exceeded where scouts ever had him in terms of like prospect evaluation. Um, I don't really know what the cons would be. I mean, obviously you're missing out on like some high school experiences when you're doing this. Um, so that would be an obvious con from, from the player side. But I mean, the, the obvious pro is you're immediately much more attractive for teams models just based on age kind of in the opposite direction of the conversation we just had um, about valuing age versus level for, for minor league prospects. It's, it's definitely the case that many teams put a, a priority on age in the draft and, and players will be moved down boards because they're older um, at the draft. Now, not all teams do this. Some teams don't really factor it in too much at all and just take the best player, but on plenty of models, it definitely helps you out if you are younger for the class. So I think that's a pro. Um, I mean, it's, it's kind of generic stuff. I don't, I don't think there are any crazy pros and cons outside of what the players themselves are capable of though. Do you, ben, do do you, you think anything? teams can, don't you think teams though have, or, or how, how, how strictly do you think teams? And obviously it depends from organization to organization. How strictly do you think teams adhere to those models that yeah, they develop because really you have a model like I think you have it a really model on the team on, yeah go ahead I think some teams will like are putting their faith in the model they believe in their inputs they believe in everything that, that goes into that and they want to see whether or not the model is is better than um, what people have done in the past and so if you get into a, a situation where you're kind of tinkering with what the model spits out well, then you hit, haven't really seen the process through and seen what it can really do for you. And I think there's other, there are other teams that find value in the model, but want to kind of adjust players. I think that definitely happens. I would get, this is just guessing. I would guess more teams are, are willing to kind of move around what the model spits out than not. And then some teams are still kind of in the early stages of even using their model in the draft to the level that, that I'd say most people expect teams do. But I, again, I think it just varies on how strictly they adhere to the model. Yeah, that, that's something where I, I think it should have a, a voice in the room, but I mean, all all models are are wrong or flawed <laughs> in some ways. It's just a matter of of how much and when you have. Yeah, it's like, your, is your flawed model going to be better than your flawed um, people in the room? I guess that's the, the ultimate question. And, and especially when you're introducing, I mean, look, Bryce Harper did the same thing, right? So it's not historically unprecedented where you know uh you know a player is, is doing this or anything like that but 
it, it's pretty unusual where all right, if, if your model sees a player who what I mean, Collier is he's 16 now, so it'll be 17 of the draft. But I mean, if, if you put a player into a model, like let's say a player from the 2024 class somehow like reclassified, um, you're he'd probably be like super jacked up. I mean, depending on the various weights that are are put into your model, probably be just jacked up there artificially because your models and think, wow, this this guy must be incredible to be already here at this age but if 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 he's not if if you don't really think he belongs at that level based on on what you're seeing and, and how you're grading out the player I, I think you need to have the feel and, and just the judgment to be able to say wait no we we think yeah. for this x y or z reason this is this is off and in this situation. Yeah. I don't, obviously I don't know the specifics, but I'd be surprised if age alone were, were to allow a player to like jump a tier um, with their contemporaries, just based on age. I would imagine that's kind of the, the very minor shuffling that gets done among players within groups. Like if you have players of a similar skill set, track record, tool set, scouting report evaluations, the age is probably more of a tiebreaker among that group of players is what I would guess. But again, every team is going to do it in a different way and and teams teams weight age differently. I, I did a piece a couple of years ago, actually kind of looking at the teams uh, and how they view age. I think at the time the Indians had the youngest average age and the nationals were the oldest and just kind of how the people who are making the decisions in both those scouting departments talked to me about how they valued age um, was different, but even, even the teams at the the very top, the Indians in that case, it was definitely made clear that like, we're not just hunting for the youngest people. It, it is more of a, a softer factor that that does matter, but not to the extent of some of these other things. So, yeah. I mean, so you hit on some of the, the pros too, of, of being younger for the class. And if, you know, if you go out and perform, I mean the way, so, so Cam Collier has spent a lot of his or spent a lot of his summer playing up as a 2023 at the time playing against 2022 players. And he was pretty much always one of, if not the best <laughs> hitter on, on the field um, hit, hit for power, got on base, knows a strike zone, really like a very minimal effort type swing and the ball flies off his bat. And he's just a really, I mean, he's a baseball rat, really smart hitter, hits to to all fields. It's it's pretty impressive just to watch him hit. So a, a, if you're reclassifying and, and you can perform against higher level pitching, that is even more impressive. The risk, I mean, he's and so and he's going to to Chipola, uh, which is a you know a junior college in in Florida. The risk is is you do go against older competition, and then and then you struggle, well, <laughs> then, then what happens? Then it, it's, it's a lot tougher. Whereas, you know, you take the safer route of staying with kids your own year. Like there's pretty much no chance. I would say he's going to struggle going up against high school players and high school pitching in, in Georgia, if he had chosen to just um, stay that route. And, mm -hmm. and yeah, and it also puts you into a talent pool where you're, you're just going against, better players like if if we did a combined list of 2022 and 2023 high school players and, and put them all 
into the draft, it, it'd be mostly 2022 players. I mean, yeah, you'd have like a Max Clark or Walker Jenkins and, uh, you know, the Thomas Whites of the world, but there's not that many guys like that. And certainly Cam Collier fits into that group, but you are putting yourself up against stiffer competition. Uh, but you also can start your career faster and, and you can get, you can get paid faster. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, and, and, you know, and not just as not, not just as far as, far as your signing bonus, which is, yeah, you're just starting your uh, clock earlier. Yeah. You're, you're, you know, it's why, it's why we see so many, not so many, but it's why we see international players in, in some cases like a, a Vlad junior or Soto or, or Tatis who are able to get to the big leagues when they're 20 years old. And, and we don't really see that. Uh, except in it's you know very rare cases from uh, you know high school players now. Yeah, one of the other things I was going to mention in, as far as potential cons was just or, or just to bring it up because I don't know that it's a, a huge con or or an obvious con, but something just to factor in is just the timing of the reclassification because I do think the scouting departments are overwhelmingly like more focused on the current year draft class, and so if you're reclassing after a lot of the big events are done, there's a chance that that some teams just haven't bared down on you enough. And, and the information that teams are going to have on you is less than if you were all along part of the 2022 class or, or the current year draft class. But at the same time, there have been players in recent drafts that have done that. And it doesn't seem like they've been affected too much. Although it's hard to say whether they did go lower because like, like for example, two players, I'm thinking of are Trajan Fletcher, um, out of the Northeast a few years ago, I think he was 2019 draft, I believe he was. And then um, just in this past draft, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name now, the shortstop out of Virginia, From uh, Triantos, year? Cubs. Okay. So yeah. James Triantos yeah. was a guy who throughout the summer, he was part of the 2022 class. And I think in the fall is when he reclassed to 2021. Now he still went in the second round and Fletcher was still a top five round draft pick as well. But I wonder if those players had both reclassified earlier, would they have gone higher? And and how much does that impact just the evaluation that you're getting? Um, I I do think teams are starting to maybe focus on younger players a little bit more often, but I still think it's the overwhelming focus is on current year draft players for scouting departments. Well, and then you have, and then you have Nick Bitsko too, who reclassified. Yeah, another good one. High school pitcher from Pennsylvania, and he reclass. I think he reclassified in like January 2020. So mm-hmm. everybody's thinking, oh, this is a 2000. Uh, this is a guy who'll be in the 2021 draft, and then you think, and then the pandemic hits. There's no season for him. You think this this could not have happened at worst timing for him but he ends up going in the first round signing for $3 million. And then again, like that's one of the benefits of if you are that guy, if you are, if you are that good and you are that guy, then maybe it is an advantage because Nick Bitsko has not pitched this year because he's been injured. Mm-hmm. So if that had happens, you know, it's not the race fault. He, he got hurt. So, you know, had he gotten hurt his, his senior year of high school, maybe he, I don't know. Maybe, he, maybe he, I'm sure he doesn't go in the first round and get $3 million. Maybe he goes lower. Maybe he ends up just going to college. So sometimes it, that, that can be an advantage too. If that's, <laughs> if, if you're, if you're just yeah. that good. Yeah. It's tough to say either way, but definitely, uh, 
is interesting to think that it feels like every year there's a an interesting reclass name or two so it's a common thing at this point um bowman bowser on instagram asks in the new top 100 update tyler soderstrom is ranked as the top high school bat now from the 2020 draft what puts him ahead of the rest um and so yeah that is accurate um soderstrom ranks we have him I think in the top 25, he's at 24 right now. And the next two bats, next two high school bats from that class would be Robert Hassel at 33 and Zach Veen from 34. Beyond that, you have Jordan Walker at 38. And then the next high school bat from that class, I believe would be Nick York at 64. So those are the high school bats we're talking about. And I think I don't know if, if you're asking this as in I'm really surprised that he's ahead of the rest, but I do think it's worth noting that just because Soderstrom went at the very back of the first round, um, we didn't necessarily have them all too far apart in the pre-draft process. Um, Soderstrom we had, I believe, as like a top 20 player in the class, but we had Soderstrom, Veen, Walker, and uh, who is the last one that I'm blanking on? Oh, Hassel as all like very clear first round talents in the class. And I think for Soderstrom, it's just been the case that since he's been drafted really at every stage, even though it's only his, his first full season, we've just got tremendous feedback on his hitting ability. And I also think too, that when you're looking at a list like this, the difference in one spot or the difference in a handful of spots is probably less of an actual difference in player talent than you would think. So, so with Soderstrom being where he's at, and Hassel and Veen being about 10 spots behind him, I think they're still in a range where you can easily make the case that, that you would take a Veen over Soderstrom uh, or vice versa. And I don't think it's crazy. Like these players are all fairly clustered together. Um, but I think just, just the feedback we've gotten from Soderstrom has been so strong um, that he warrants moving where he is and his performance has backed it up. Yeah, like you said, I think that group in particular – uh, yeah, Soderstrom, Hassel, and and Veen. You could find scouts who would put them in in different orders with with a different player on top. Uh, but with Soderstrom, the the feedback on him, uh, especially offensively, has just been so so good. Hitting ability and power, and there's some chance he might stick behind the plate. So a lot more defensive value potentially than Veen or Robert Hassel, but he, you know, look, they, they might all end up being corner outfielders too. So um, that's certainly a possibility, but there, there definitely seems to be a lot of conviction in both his, his hitting ability and his power. And if there's, you, you could, you could say similarly about Veen, not, not quite as much about Hassel with, and I love Robert Hassel. Hassel's more, more hit than, than power, but you, you if you can say the same thing about Veen as, as Soderstrom as far as the hit and the power, but there is some chance that Soderstrom might actually be able to catch. So um, a slight advantage right now for Soderstrom, but it's it's so close. Where I mean, geez, when when we, when we redo our top one hundred after after the season, I would not be surprised to see these players in in a different order either. Yep, uh, that was a good question. Our next one comes from Stephen Hardesty on Twitter. Which prospect just outside of the newest top 100 ranking 
do you feel has the most potential to rise the most into the rankings next year? Um, I, I think this, this answer will probably change for myself and I'm assuming for you as well, Ben, as we kind of collect information over the next few months, as we really dig into prospect handbook mode, but there are two guys who, and I, and I don't want to talk about them too much on the podcast because they are guys who've been mentioned previously. Um, I think the last two episodes we mentioned them, but I really like Sal Frelick and Colton Kowser, especially Sal Frelick. I think he's one of the guys that I was, I was really excited to try and get on the back of this list. He didn't quite make it. Um, but again, if you just look at kind of pre-draft where we had him, we were very high on Frelick throughout the process. He was a, a top 10 prospect throughout. Um, I think the difference in between him and Henry Davis, who was the number one player in the class, is really not that much at all. I love his tool set, love his hitting ability, love the defensive profile. Um, I think he's just got a lot of traits that I really like. Uh, and then kind of the same thing with Colton Kowser just a lot of confidence in his bat was always a guy who was highly regarded. And both these guys are off to really strong starts. Um, so I would be most excited about them right now. And I know a lot of that is just kind of a bias in looking towards some of the draft guys who I just finished covering. Um, but they have continued to do everything you want and both could be like up the middle, really impressive left-handed hitters. So I like that combination of, of tool set, um, draft pedigree and performance so far. But Ben, are there any names that, that you really like? I was going to say Kowser is, is, is a good one. Going away from the draft, I think Jose Salas with, with the Marlins is an interesting guy. Um, shortstop they signed. I mean, that 2019 international class, um, you know, Yuri Perez, I mean, he, he, he really could vault up, but I mean, he's, uh, he's going to be in our top 100 soon, I think. So I'm not going to. I'm not going to cheat and pick him, but um, Jose Salas is, is an interesting guy who uh, good athlete switch hitter, uh, maybe shortstop, maybe moves off the position, but physicality, athleticism, speed hitting, he's, he's moving quickly promoted to low a as, as an 18 year old. So um, he's been, he's been pretty impressive so far. I think he's, He's not the same level of, of prospect as like a, a Kowser or Freelick right now, but just as a, a non-draft or non-recent draft guy who I think could jump up, he'd be he'd be a guy to watch. Nice. Uh, we got another one from Jack Green on Twitter who asks, what's at stake on the amateur slash international side of things for the upcoming CBA? Do you guys have any predictions on adjustments that be, may be made to the draft? and whether or not an international draft will be implemented. Thank you. Um, I think your, your international draft question can probably be answered by one of our first podcasts. Ben really went into a lot of detail on what he thought was coming on that side of things. Um, but yeah, what's at stake on the amateur slash international side of things? I, I, I think in general, um, if I'm a player who's probably going to be affected by those decisions, I have to be a little bit worried because we've talked about this before, but the MLBPA has never really made it a pressing issue to take, to take the responsibility for those players who are not represented in the players association, or at least currently represented in the players association um, very seriously. Um, in my opinion, they've kind of used um, the rights that those players have as, as almost 
ammo to use for leverage and negotiations and getting things that are maybe more immediate to players who are already at the major league level. Um, but there's a lot at stake. I mean, hopefully we'll have a new system of, hopefully we'll have a new contract structure where players will not be as vulnerable to having just their, their clocks delayed for no reason other than teams aren't competitive at the major league level now. And so players like Adley Rutschman, who should probably be in the major leagues right now because he's ready for the major leagues, wouldn't just be held down. I mean, that, that's got to be one of the top things that gets brought up. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, not very, I'm not very encouraged for, for what's going to happen with those players specifically. But do you have any thoughts on this, Ben? I think it's certainly trending toward having an international draft. I think the owners still want a draft. I don't think the Players Association – really cares whether there's a draft or not is like you said unless it's you know it's some bargaining chip for them to use in negotiations to get some concession back for players who are in the players association which are players who are on 40-man rosters which um, international players are not same same as same as domestic amateur players same as minor leaguers who are not on the 40-man they're they just don't have a a seat or a voice really at the negotiating table. So um, it still has to be negotiated. There's nothing decided yet, but I, I would expect an international draft to come in, in the next CBA. I wouldn't be surprised either to see more of more of what MLB tried to start this year, getting maybe more specific and more solidified and a process being, hammered together like with the combine this year it was a voluntary event no one had to show up if they didn't want to i'm curious to see how those mlb initiatives in the pre-draft setup get changed under the structure because i think there's there's from mlb side i think they only want to get more and more involved in that and then funneling players through specific um pre-draft events and i think the but the kumar rocker situation specifically i, I think that, that teams and mlb side they would only want to have some system where, where medical information is available to teams before the draft and kind of how those rules are shaped and change over the next few years will certainly impact players. Um, I'm not sure what the answers to a lot of these things are. We've talked about it before here and I don't, I don't know that there's a great answer either way, um, but it wouldn't be surprising to me if they tried to have more of an NFL or NBA draft style system but again, we've talked about how that's hard to do when you don't have a draft that you opt into. So not really sure, but I expect, I expect changes that probably will go overlooked by the, the baseball community that doesn't really focus on these things, but that will be very um, meaningful for the players who are going through this, the scouts, how, how teams acquire players, the timeline for these players. I expect a lot of that to change, although I just, I just don't really know if I have clear answers for anything. I'm not really in those kind of conversations. I can only really guess. Um, we can do probably another another one, and then we might have to get out of here. So do you have any, Ben, that you want to dive into specifically, or you want me to just throw one out at you? Uh, let's do a Carlos pick on this one. All right. Let's go with... Um... There are a lot of good ones, actually. Okay, this was a conversation we had in the BA Slack today that was directly um, resulting from this question. So Alex Pollock on Twitter 
says, it's often said that when a team trades their top prospects, it's because they know something and maybe doubt their potential. What are some examples of high-end prospects who were traded and lived up to or exceeded their expectations? Um, and this led to a lot of players who were thrown out from the BA Slack um, who met this category and, and the opposite. And I think just to answer your question, like, I feel like there is a narrative that if a player is traded, their team must know something. Um, they must not be as high on that player now. What's the reason they would be wanting to trade them? I, I think that's probably overstated at this point. I mean, you, you have to give up talent to get talent. And just because the Blue Jays traded Austin Martin doesn't necessarily believe that they no longer believe in Austin Martin. They got a really good player back who's helping them win now. They traded from a position of strength. So I don't necessarily think that every team is only trading players because they doubt their potential. But a few of the notable players who exceeded their expectations after being traded include Lucas Giolito, uh, Gleyber Torres, Trey Turner, and Anthony Rizzo as two notable uh, Padre trades. And then Fernando Tatis, I think, are probably some of the bigger names in recent years. And you could also maybe throw in Dansby Swanson. Um, I'm not sure... There's probably a little bit more of an argument as to whether or not Dansby has lived up to his just expectations in general because he was number one overall pick in the draft. Um, but those are a few who who exceeded their expectations. But how do you kind of handle this question, Ben? I think it's it's critical for an organization to be able to know its own prospects better than anybody else, but you still you don't know one, you don't know the future for certain. And two, sometimes you just have to give up good prospects, get good players. I mean, I'm sure the Red Sox did not think, Hey, Yohan Moncada is not a good player. And Michael Kopech is not a good player. It's just, or, or are not good prospects. It's just Chris sale is awesome. <laughs> he's, and he's on a very, good contract from the club's perspective as far as both uh, years of, of club control and and the money. So if Chris Sale, this ace on a club-friendly contract, is available, like you're not going to just get him for your number 9 and 12 and 17 and 39 prospects. Like you, can't, you can't just give a team this volume of mm-hmm. mediocre or, or just you know second and third and fourth tier players sometimes you just have to give up those types of guys to get an impact player now certainly you want to do everything you can if if you have a top 25 overall prospect in baseball especially if it's a hitter the track record of those guys is pretty outstanding i would say if if you just look at the history of baseball america top 25 hitting prospects in 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 the game not because we're that smart it's just if guys are there it's because everybody can see how talented these players are so you want to do everything you can to keep them but yeah like if, if an opportunity comes along where you can get a chris sale or you can get some impact player yeah sometimes you're just gonna have to give up good good players to make it happen so you can certainly point to players who just just anecdotally who were traded and then didn't didn't work out or or didn't live up to expectations but but really you need a a control group for that because there are just a lot of prospects in general who 
two just don't work out who are, um, you know, on the same caliber as the prospects who were traded, but, um, you know, you, you remember the guys more who, who did get dealt and didn't, didn't live up to expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't think I have much more to add to that, Ben. So thank you. Um, I think we're going to call it for today on questions. Again, if you submitted a question, for this week and it wasn't answered we're probably going to be able to get into it on next week's episode uh but thank you to all who did and again if you didn't and you want to in the future you can uh at carlos de Claus on twitter at ben badler on twitter or at future pro pod and you can also uh do it via ben's instagram um that's ben.badler and you should just be following that in general um but before we get out of here ben anything you want to plug that people should be looking forward to on the website or just anything you have going on that you want to talk about uh we got our yeah we got our top 100 updated so i appreciate all the all the people who checked that out and, and subscribed and um and read that so like i was saying earlier in the program we're trying to make sure that baseball america is the is the place where if you want to see an up-to-date top 100 we we can deliver that for you so appreciate everybody for um for checking that out yeah definitely check it out just i would just say check out the website there's stuff going on even though we are kind of in the dog days of summer here minor league season is about wrapped up but uh lots of stuff coming on the pro side on the college side on the amateur side as is is always the case with us at ba so thank you guys for reading thank you guys for listening uh for ben i'm carlos so long, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.